Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast, presented by Dr. Jody Jones DDS. We're part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Chip Frederick, will talk Vanderbilt baseball after Vanderbilt sweeps Kentucky by 3-0 count in terms of games one at Hawkins Field. Anyway, without further delay, let's get on to our interview with Chip Frederick. Okay, in case you're noticing a change in sound here, Chip's internet has gone out. We just lost a couple of minutes of podcasting, so we'll reboot. And Chip, my question to you is, your level of concern for this Vanderbilt team uh, going forward throughout the rest of the season, given what you've seen in the last couple of weeks? Well, it's all for the pitching staff, Chris, and every team in the league deals with this, has been dealing with it at some point in the season. It seems like you know, Ole Miss is having a terrible year for a team that went to the national championship and won it. And, and after kind of having a mediocre year and they went on that run, but they have two of their top flight pitchers who are out with Tommy John. And I think that's what this staff is. This coaching staff is dealing with right now some uncertainty with the health of their pitchers and some frontline guys who'd be plugging some holes, namely Dukanich, which is, he's just a freshman, but he's still a great arm, which you saw the potentials there. And, and you, you, you just have to, Stay as healthy as you possibly can. If you got Dukanich and you got a Hunter Owens situation, and it seems like that Carter Holton has worked his way out of whatever funk that he was in, uh, whether it was tightness or soreness or whatever. Um, but I, I think that that's just the main thing that everybody's dealing with, and and uh, staying healthy. And so I would say it's about a five or six on the scale, maybe five point six, as you, as we've joked about. Um, or is it 5.8? I don't, I don't, it's 5.8. Somewhere 8. between there. 5.8 5. 5. 8 is always yeah. the right answer. Right. So um, I would think it's not jump off the cliff time uh, right now, but it's you know, you, you're talking about two crucial times with Kentucky coming in and a chance to rebound and kind of make amends for what happened this past weekend. You're playing them at home, and then you go to Tuscaloosa against a team in, in Alabama that's played pretty well this year and has had a decent year, had some good wins. And then you've got, you know, Florida. So you got back-to-back SEC games um, series after this weekend. So you better kind of right the ship a little bit. I know we talked last week about – you asked me where I thought this team would be. We were, at, you know, after 15 games, the halfway point, and I said eight and seven um, would be kind of a one that would be – you'd think it'd be somewhat of a success or that you're going to be okay – as far as hosting regional and things like that, they didn't start off the second 15 very well at 0 and 3. So they got some work to do here this weekend. I think they can get that back. But, you know, you're talking about arm injuries and stressors and, and, and tightness and all those things. That's just something that they don't mess around with and they're going to have to be cautious. But um, they do need to, it, it, no injuries really on the position side. Um, I think I said this before I went off the air with the connection there, but we haven't had really a handmade bone or a guys with major hamstrings and Ray K. Bradfield hadn't gone down, things like that. It's just mainly the last week or two, last two, three weeks, it's been the pitching side that's been the issue. 
Yeah, a lot of teams have pitching health concerns right now. I think if they get reasonably healthy, and mostly by that I mean Hunter Owen and, and give them either Dukanich or, or more back, then I feel – I'm not super concerned about this team. Now, look, I think if they went and played – this is going to sound contradictory, but I think it'll make sense. I think if you had to do that whole weekend over – of all the stuff that happened from Maldonado giving up three, from one of them, you know, basically being golfed out of the ballpark, to all the stuff that happened, to leaving a bunch of guys on base, to, you know, Tennessee getting about 49 hits with two outs and runners on or whatever it was. I, I think the odds of. It all playing back the way it did as disastrously as disastrously as it did or low. No, look, I think if you play the series again next weekend, Tennessee wins again in Knoxville and maybe wins all three just from the confidence it's gained. But I feel like last weekend, while they played poorly, it was also kind of a everything that could go wrong did go wrong situation too. Yeah, and, and you, the confidence level, though, of what Tennessee has done against Vanderbilt over the past several years and, and their rise to prominence of going to Omaha for the first time in a long time and what they did last year when they kind of ran rough shot over everybody in the SEC until they got to the to the Notre Dame series. I think that um, it's just it's it's a chink in the armor. It's, it's a hurt to the blow to the confidence level that they just seemed outclassed and out uh, out toughed is not the word, but the, the the toughness that you usually seem the intestinal fortitude of of going into a place where it's a different environment, like a hornet's nest. As I've said, they just didn't seem like they had any fight back and any punch back, and that's what the man concerned. I think that Tim Corbin is definitely have rebounding from that is the key. You, you can't just it's trying to – you can't make that stuff up as far as creating environment to make yourself better and, 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 and throw a Band-Aid on it and hope it's going to get better. You just got to get back out there and play and have success. And, you know, it's not going to get any easier in this league after this. As I mentioned, going to Alabama and going to Florida after Kentucky series. So you're going to have to just get that confidence back, get the classes over with after this series um, and, and have to where you're, just, you're, you're basically on your time now and that's school's time and you can – focus all on baseball without the restrictions. We've talked about that in years past. This team seems to play well in May as they, you know, roll up to the SEC tournament and, and they generally speaking have been playing their best ball. Uh, last year was kind of an anomaly. Didn't quite do that. The last couple series in May as it came around, but traditionally this team under Tim Corbin plays its best baseball starting in May. Yeah. If they can get through the next three weekends at five and four, I'm 90-something percent certain they're going to be a top-eight national seed no matter what from there on. And by the way, they get Arkansas at home to end everything. Arkansas has got some pretty significant injuries of its own, including a couple to position players, key position guys too, like some of their better players. And Arkansas, I think, is now 3-7 and seven on the road after last night. Right. Yeah, they've 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 been hit by the injury bug too, and you know, as everybody has. I mean, with the Dukanich with apparently being a hamstring, that's such an unusual injury that you hear from a pitcher. But I can only imagine. I mean, if you've ever messed with your hamstring, 
it feels like someone a sniper shot you off the top floor of a, a building just when you're walking down the street it is painful and there's especially if it's a push-off flag uh with pitching you can't do anything and and, and and tweaking it is something that you can imagine the torque that your leg your lower half your body that you that gets the velocity and pushing off the rubber you just you're you're helpless you can't you can't throw with any velocity so you just got to give that some time and and uh hopefully he's he's on the mend and get back out there i know he's pitching some bullpen a week or two ago and you wonder if he might be able to with no midweek in this week they could possibly throw him in there if the, if the situation warrants but you know you haven't really seen you know and getting innings with the maldonado and look chris that's going to happen again some of the best closers he threw a great pitch. I, I, I still think I, I, if I'm him, I'm throwing the same pitch that the guy golfed out. I just don't yeah. think um, it was not a bad pitch at all. But um, some of the guys who just you haven't, you know, Schultz pitched two thirds of an inning, and that was on Sunday. He hasn't thrown much lately. You know, Ginther hadn't thrown much lately. Riley got in for an inning and two thirds, but just getting some some guys out there with the experience and 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 putting them in situations. They haven't had that really opportunity. They just got to get guys out there and get the positive results so they can get their confidence back. Are you ready for the mailbag? Sure. Let's let's listen to the mailbag. Tell me what you got. By the way, I'm looking at something. Vanderbilt's moved down from seven to eight in the RPO overnight uh, behind Coastal Carolina. And I cannot Coastal Carolina has got the number five strength to schedule in the country. Compared to Vanderbilt's, what is it, twelfth, fifteen? Like, how is that possible? Coastal Carolina's in the Sun Belt. Don't know the answer. To that could it be perhaps something with the Georgia. I losing? I mean, they played Wake twice, Southern Miss three times, Southern Miss another team that's not as good as the RPI. Clemson, NC State, Campbell, Old Dominion, Texas State, Georgia Southern, Georgia State, Creighton, James Madison, Davidson with some MTSU and stuff. I mean, again, it's one of those things where they didn't play a lot that are 150-plus in the RPI. That's part of it. But that's, I don't know. It's crazy. I have, I have questions about the RPI strength to schedule sometimes. <laughs> okay, all right. That aside, that just kind of caught my eye in passing. The mailbag is sponsored by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If your loved one has been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call at 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Okay. Momolo, once all our pitchers are healthy, what would your weekend starting rotation be? Who would be your midweek starter? Rank the bullpen by long relievers, short relievers, and closers. Mm, okay. Lots of digest there. I think it'd be the same as it it, it is now. Kind of in the in the arm whip and his velocity when he put the little you know he showed us six innings of it early on, but could possibly have been one who would worked his way in there for the rotation. But in a perfect world, he'd be your midweek guy, just as a, as Futrell in the past is did that his freshman year and, and did quite well uh, and raked up a bunch of win, wins in that column. But I, I still like, um, I like Cunningham, of course, more as, as, as coming out of the pen for a couple batters. I think Ginther, you know, there's the question, you know, as I'm driving down the road here and I'm not second guessing here, um, but uh, you know, you would have thought, was there any indication that Ginther could have gone 
the eighth um, and, and try to close that thing out without bringing Maldonado. Eugene had a bunch of left-hand batters coming up. Of course, they were pinch-hitting in that situation. But uh, I really like Genther as a guy who can come in and give you an inning or two against lefties, and, and I think his velocity was up. He, he's, he's, he's a guy I think he can count on. Not sure what's going on with Schultz. Uh, you know, he was a guy, Chris, and you might comment on that. Just, I would have thought he would have been a little more dependable this year and used more often. And of course, we're not seeing bullpen sessions or what's going on there. But, um, but I, I would probably say keeping the rotation like it is, with the only exception being um, Dukanich and one of those three guys, possibly Futrell, if he fell out of the rotation, then he would go midweek. But that's a pr- pretty formidable one, two, three punch. Uh, and then having Dukanich as, as a guy midweek. And then you've got, you know, Ginther, you know, Grayson Moore, I mean, you've got some, you know, Boki still struggling a little bit with the ERA and, and gave up some home runs, which has kind of been his Achilles heel, but uh, there's enough talent there. Um, and, with, and then when you got Maldonado closing games out, there's enough frontline guys there to get things done and do well. It's just staying healthy and, and trying to uh, trying to keep stave off the injury bug. But I don't think there's anything wrong with the – when healthy, I don't think there's anything wrong with the rotation that it is going right now. I think they ought to get a COVID year for Schultz and bring him back next year because he is great every other year and very <laughs> ordinary in, in the others. He was – Really good as a freshman in the glimpse we saw of him limited. Not too good as a sophomore from what I remember. Outstanding most of last year. And then this year he's just kind of ordinary again. Yeah, and and um, this is just the year that he's kind of really hadn't been able to put it all together. Uh, and um, just remains to be seen. It just they gotta, They've got, um, you know, Schultz's numbers – just had a lot of problems, of course, the park last weekend. I mean, it seems like every other every other batter was hitting it out of that short porch, but uh, that that continues to be a problem for some of those guys. And Laboki, uh, looking at his numbers here, he's given up how many home runs has he given up this year? It seems a lot more. He's six, which is Futrell's given up eight, and Cunningham's given up eight. Um, those guys lead the staff, but it seems like the balls are leaving the park on those guys a lot more than. Well, certainly a lot more than you'd like um, if you're a pitching coach. Yeah, how's this for timing? Uh, on the Saturday game, my son had a game. So I saw the first inning. I saw Cunningham get the first two outs, and I saw him put a couple of guys on. By the time I started the car, I could hear Andrew Allegretta's tone of voice had changed, and turns out they'd, they'd given up two runs, and then it just kept getting worse from there. And I think – <laughs> yeah, I leave the house with two outs. We got like a, you know, I don't know, 12, 13 minute drive to the ballpark. And we've got the car parked and we're walking to the field. In fact, we might have even gotten on the field and they're still playing that, that inning and, and haven't gotten an out. It was crazy. Yeah, 47 pitches later. Um, and, and a lot of people thought, you know, why didn't they go to the pen earlier when they had an opportunity? But, that's to be debated, but, uh, you know, just starting off so well and, and, uh, he couldn't throw, I mean, it's just lost. I think I told you this. I don't know if our internet connection would, if I talked about how it looked like his footing was off and he was looking down at the dirt. And that's when you're just, if you're a pitcher and you've done a lot, you're going like, Oh God, 
you know, kick some dirt and dig your hole or do something. But sometimes when you're not throwing strikes and little things like that bother you, and it seems like that was happening to him, that's just something I just noticed. And maybe I'm a freak about stuff like that, but I just didn't like he, he after he got the first two outs is not very good. Try to remember, did they have two out and nobody on? I think that was the case, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 I, I mean, what mathematically, what are the odds of getting nine runs in that spot? Well, it's just they, they did that all weekend. I mean, even I know in, uh, you flip the two out, two out uh, magic for Tennessee all weekend. And that's usually not how it works. Uh, this team is traditionally had enough discipline to pitch with two outs and get out of jams, but um, any jam that happened, but that wasn't the case this past weekend. Mamalo, I know it's tough to lay off a good breaking ball, but we seem so sw- to swing in an inordinate amount of pitches in the dirt or well off the plate. Is that just us, or do all teams have the same lack of discipline at the plate? Well, you, you'd hope it's just a one-time thing, and, and uh, because this team we've talked about all season long has had better plate discipline. They've hit attack pitches and attack fastballs early in the count, but when you strike out 19 times, as they did on Friday night, which sets the stage in the four to three loss. Sunday wasn't as bad as far as striking out and seemed like chasing balls. Uh, they only struck out, what was it? Five times on Sunday, which is pretty good um, from, compared to what they did on Friday night. But uh, hopefully you just think it was just a one-time thing. UT had some guys up there that were throwing some decent gas and, and they, they're talented. Look, the UT for as bad I think it was a total setup, and we talked about this. They, they're a team that was due, absolutely due, and they're a lot better than they had been playing. And you put a team out there that does that and and can and gets the confidence back, and they're playing at home in front of their people. You got Chase Burns, you know, hitting ninety nine and a hundred on the radar gun, and he's all rejuvenated because he's a guy who's, you know, in in their lineup. It, as far as being one of their frontline guys and basically demoted and you wonder if he'll end up being their closer, but uh, you know, it's, um, I hope you hope that it's a one-time thing. Cause they've done, I don't think they just overnight have started chasing balls in the dirt without the plate discipline. Like they've shown, I think the overall work and the scope of work of what they've done for the first 15 conference games, you think carry over and hopefully it's just a one-time thing. Yeah, I thought they were doing a remarkable job during that heater they had the first five weeks of conference play of not chasing stuff and laying off stuff out of the zone and being very disciplined and being the appropriate amount of aggressive and patient. I thought, just my opinion, I felt like several inches were getting called off the plate on Friday night. And I felt like at that point you have to protect and take some swings because if you're going to get called out, you might as well go down swinging. To me, that was what precipitated that. I don't know. Uh, I didn't get to see with my own eyes as much of that uh, if that happened on Saturday or Sunday. But to me, Friday night was more circumstantial than anything I felt. Yeah, and you know, once again, the whole attitude can change if, if Maldonado can get out of that night we perhaps are talking about a whole different weekend because you're, you talk about a wounded duck, you know, a team that's like, well, we've lost so many in a row. We got swept last weekend and Vanderbilt just took us on Friday night. And if UT, if UT rejuvenates their season from here on out 
and and continue and the schedule's in their favor. The schedule, they have played a very difficult order of the schedule. And if they can do that, I think that one swing of the bat will be looked upon as a turning point for them uh, in the night. Okay, what changes, if any, would you make to the lineup going forward outside of Maldonado? Who would you go to first out of the bullpen if he wasn't available? It just seems like there are no good options at this point out of the one based on the last two week in series. That one from Baseball Bros. Well, are we talking pitching or just the regular the lineup? Um, I think it's more the question. I think he's asking pitching, both. Yeah, well, I mean, again, I thought Ginther struck out two in his one inning, and the question is, could you get, should you have left him in there more than he did? Um, I, I'm, I think the confidence is there for him. I, I don't, you know, the other guys, I mean, Riley's pitched a little bit, and it's looked like his stuff has been, his velocity's up, and I know that his ERA is up as well. It's 5.06, but um, worries me a little bit. Hoboke getting given up balls going out of the park. So, you know, it's just – it's a myriad of guys. I would think Ginther would be one of the first guys. This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast has been made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. Just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville, but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. What people love about Jody's office is the ambiance. It's relaxing. It's friendly. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. Whether your needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody today. Call him 615-270-2322. See him at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown or the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player and a huge Commodore booster, so go and talk Vandy sports with him while you're there. Go see Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of this podcast because without it, this season would not be possible. And so my confidence level, those guys, I mean, there's enough arms out there. It's just, but, and you're going to have guys who are going to give up hits in big situations. And they got a rebound. Um, but I think, you know, the downward trend of guys like Slaboki and Cunningham, that's a little concerning to me as far as, you know, Cunningham, of course, in a starting role right, right now, you don't know how long that's going to last, but, if it would be a guy I would go to first other than Maldonado, right now my answer would be Ron Ginther. Yeah, that would be mine too. What about lineup changes? Oh, man. I mean, you know, you're, you're talking about guys who are really tearing the cover off the ball early on in the year, and, and you know, Davis Diaz is just not swinging it right now, and R.J. Austin, those two guys who had a lot of confidence and, and were doing really well at the, at the plate. Um, you know, you're certainly not going to, um, you know, nothing's wrong with Shrek. You know, Maldonado is cooled off. I think he's cooled off, what, 30 points in the last two weeks um, from where he was. Well, yeah, but he, he was wondered. hitting 400, wasn't he? I mean, right. close so to that's it. 70 points. Yeah. That's 70 points, yeah. So you, you've got some guys who've cooled off and just the, I don't know, the freshman wall, I'm not going to call it that, but something similar to that, that he's starting to maybe the books out on him a little bit, how to pitch to him. But, um, you know, you've got Austin and Diaz who are the targets right now and Bulger is going to continue to be, but he's, he's, a, he's kind of been a stalwart behind the plate and not sure you're going to be able to 
get him out of the lineup um, unless he just continue if he continues to struggle. He had a home run on Sunday, and but those two, those two, but you know who are you going to put in there? We talked about last week, Chris. They've only played seven position guys other than the top nine. There's not a lot of yeah. at bats after that line in the stat sheet, when you've got guys who, who could step in, there's really not enough names who are going to get the opportunity compared to years past. There's just not a lot of names. So I think they're going to have to go with who they got right now and hope these guys bust out of it. Yeah. I mean, it's either Hewitt or Espinall as guys off the bench. And right. that's about it. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Those would be the two. NBA door. When will the portal come calling for our elite talent in baseball or bowling? <laughs> I don't think you got to uh, worry about bowling. Uh, um, yeah, the old the old portal. I don't think you got to worry about. Uh, you mean you mean to bowling. say there's not a, a bidding war for bidding <laughs> war for bowlers? I will say I will say my son, uh, my two sons. We were eating and we watched the bowling championships. And I should have talked about this two weeks ago, but it's really funny. And I've got an older son who loves filming, videoing on his phone the younger son's reaction. Uh, watching Vanderbilt sports and when he, when he's not knowing that he's filling it, you know what I mean? I mean, he's my son. Yeah. They're like bowling dad. What do we watch? Bo-? They didn't know anything about it. We're at the restaurant and they start getting into it. We come home and they got it on the television. And my young son, who's 10 was screaming at the television and jumping up and down when the ball was rolling down the, you know, he would jump up in the air when the ball was left <laughs> leaving the uh, bowler's hands and he got into it. When just, and so uh, kudos to the women's bowling team. I'm I'm really happy with them. I'm being serious. I mean that that's that's uh, John Williamson's done a great job with that, and um, I don't think you're going to see any action. That baseball, I know he's being probably sarcastic, but I still think this is uh, the portal, and this is a whole other show. The portal, I think, is really exposing what's going on in basketball and, and football around the country with the big schools. And um, I don't think there's anything to worry about baseball wise. I think there's uh, that danger out there of guys getting taken out of the portal and not, excuse me, the NIL, um, you know, we've lost some guys in the portal. Um, it looks what happened in South Carolina with Cassis, but, um, and that's going to happen. But uh, the, I think the question was, portal, maybe an NIL to somebody else taking them away from Vanderbilt, like it's happening in football and potentially basketball. That's your main concern. The portal is going to be around until they make some modifications and they change to where this ridiculousness doesn't come into play every single year. Um, and football, basketball are the main targets because the powerful teams with a lot of backing can cherry pick and pay these guys at Vanderbilt more than, um, they're, they're doing here. And, you got to pay to play, and if Vanderbilt's not willing to do that, they're in serious, serious trouble in those two sports. I think uh, a stadium, you can the Vanderbilt United campaign, the money they're trying to raise is formal amount. I think it's going to be a good-looking facility in football. I think it's going to be you know 21st century, got some added things, and it's going to have some you know glass down on that end zone and the terraces and stuff. It's going to be real nice, but you know. Uh, as as a buddy of mine in Memphis told me yesterday, he's a he's a former player at Vanderbilt, teammate of mine, also a native Memphian, uh, and and supports the University of Memphis just because he's a lifelong Memphian. And he said, you know, Vanderbilt, Memphis could spend the money Vanderbilt's spending 
on their football stadium and really, really change the outlook of their football program compared to the SMUs of the world and whoever's in their conference. Vanderbilt spending that money is not going to make a dent into the SEC comparatively facilities. And so that's where you're sitting there and you're beating your head up against the wall because, you know, you're going to be in that stadium and there's going to be the same number of fans from the other team as there are. It's just going to be nicer for them. They're going to have better concessions and sight lines. So that's wherein lies the problem. I see. Um, well, and- I would I would disagree with that a little. It's it's not. If you put it like that, then you you might as well, you know, still have the same stadium a hundred years from now without without it being modified. I don't think that's true. I think it just instead of them being three hundred feet below ground and you can't see daylight from where you are, it it gets you to where you're within you know striking distance of of. Of, of ground zero, I guess, you know? Yeah. And I, oh, I agree with that. I, I, you can't sit on your hands and do anything and, and, and do nothing. I mean, you, you've got to do something from where you are now, but it's just gotten so competitive and it's so it's, it, um, especially like a sport like basketball, when you got guys who can, can, you can sit there in the major programs and offer what they're not getting now at Vanderbilt money-wise and exposure-wise, and, and it's just, you're like sitting ducks out there um, in, in the exposure. You can't do that in the other sports as much, uh, but man, it's it's a problem that I wouldn't want to have, and so I'm glad they're doing I think that a lot of the stuff is impressive, and it just, and, and you want it to be as best as you possibly can make it in that space. It just worries me, is like, is, is it going to be good enough? Is it going to be good enough to retain the players that you want to retain? Is, is it going to be something that is going to cause them to say, "I want to stay here uh, for four years or in and 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 get my education and get my degree?" And is that as important? I mean, there's so many guys now that aren't graduating on the basketball program. Here I am on a huge soapbox. Sorry, but there's so many guys who aren't graduating. You look at the last couple graduating classes. In the Stackhouse area, I guess the graduation rate doesn't matter anymore. Is that? Is I don't that think there the is window? a graduation rate anymore. Hardly. Yeah. Okay, because you know it's it's just um, that that if it, there is, it's going to be some serious problems. But um, I, I think that um, I mean the defensive back we lose in football. It was announced yesterday going to the portal, and uh, and. I'm sure that's probably NIL related from what, what we're hearing from the, the rumors. And if that's the it case, is. that's, you know, that's just, it, it just makes you sick to your stomach and you, you're kind of like, what, what is it going to take? I've said all along, I told you last year, when if this is Vanderbilt, just going to be the, in those two sports, it's, it's going to be the farm team for some of these guys who can just if Nick Saban gets on the phone and works his channels or I'm just using him as an example you know work his back channels and say hey come on down to Tuscaloosa you've proven that you can play in this league for the first two years we'll take you you know it's just you can imagine the frustrations that those coaches have and and um, I don't see any getting any better without any legislation from the NCAA to to calm it down because it's it is the wild west right now well, Vanderbilt is always going to fall back on ideology when it comes to how it runs sports. And sometimes, look, sometimes that's good. Uh, there, there's a lot of things about the way Vanderbilt runs sports, but 
this is, you know, I've said this a million times. They made such a huge mistake in 2019 when they didn't go out and get a big boy athletic director from a place that understands competition, and that's the most important thing, uh, not your idealism in, in various forms and fashions, and they're still paying the price for that one. Of all the things that, and I, I never met Malcolm Turner, don't know anything about him, wouldn't know him if he wouldn't know me, uh, never met him again, don't know many people who met him. But the one thing that uh, apparently that he said that he spoke, you know, when when we're talking about the Vandy United campaign, campaign and it's trying to raise, what is it, 400 million or 350 million, I think it's ballooned a little bit. <clears throat> I think he was the one that told people privately it needed to be a, a billion. You know, it needed to be nine yeah. million, or you know, because that that wasn't going to be enough as far as getting themselves on par with the others. But the worst thing I've said before, the thing that scares me the most, if I am the in the athletic department at Vanderbilt, and this is probably more maybe board level discussion if I'm in a board meeting, if I'm on the board at Vanderbilt and this is presented the Vanderbilt Vandy United campaign and you sit there and you say to yourself, okay, we're spending all this money and we're raising it and we're going to build this basketball facility, which is, I think it's going to look really nice. And the additions to the football stadium and hopefully some additions to baseball, maybe some decking and things on top of the old, on the current baseball facility. If you're doing that, what happens if you wake up five years from now and this separation has continued and all of a sudden you're not even, it has become, which it basically has glorified and the payers get players getting paid and the facilities becoming better and better. And all the stuff that you've done has not made a dent. Maybe the atmosphere is better. Players enjoy it. They're getting treated well in the facilities and amenities. But it does hasn't made a dent in the performance because it's gotten the gap has gotten so wide. It's gotten worse, yeah. And then then you kind of sit there and you say, well, do we need to adjust? You know, do we need to join a a collegiate league? I'd call it like Northwestern, Stanford, Rice, Tulane, Vanderbilt, kind of thing because you, know, you just can't compete. There's other sports, yes. I mean, we we can do great in golf, and kudos to them how they've been playing baseball and bowling and all those. But the ones that pay the ticket at the end of the night, basketball and football, I'm worried about if I'm sitting over there, I'm worried about that gap that's continuing to uh, get wider and wider, and you're spending all this money. I'm not saying don't do it, but it's either I think the day has come – you dipping your toe in the bathtub and feeling the temperature and seeing if it's okay. Now more than ever in my life as being a Vanderbilt fan, it's, you gotta, you gotta go way deep. Uh, because if you don't, I think you're going to be sitting there with the risk of playing with all these nice facilities you built and you're not playing with the big boys and you're not getting those checks. Uh, because that league is kind of expanded and done on their own and, and it is a uh, the gap has gotten too wide. And sorry about yeah, the, going on about that. I, but that's just you know that's what I tell my friends. No, well, I mean, look, I've talked to people that 
liked Turner, and I've talked to people that can't stand him. And the common denominator between both is he had no idea what he was doing. Now, the one place where I think Malcolm could have been good for uh, Malcolm wanted to win. I'm, I'm not saying Malcolm was unworried about ethics and other stuff, but he wanted to win. And I still think uh, there are some things over there. And, and again, some of them are good, but some of them have nothing to do with anything that, that whether it's, well, I, I just don't know that being realistic about winning is as prioritized as it should be. I guess that's a good way to put it. Yeah, well, that remains to be seen because it's it's definitely a feeling of <clears> – <throat> and if you're Clark Lee, how frustrating is that? Here's a guy you recruited. Oh, my goodness. And he just leaves. I mean – Well, here's the, here's the first thing I thought last night when Jadeus Richard hit the portal – I thought, okay, here's a kid that 11 months ago was graduating from high school, right, where he was a safety. You come in, you play right away as a freshman. He would have played more, but I believe he got hurt. And 11 months later, 10 months later, I guess if you want to go to February, nine months later, whatever it was by that point, from the point he had finished high school, you were now a starting corner in the SEC. And he was basically starting, I think, from the first – Spring practice back in February. How many guys can say that? I mean, that kid was going to get, I'm going to guess, seven, eight, nine hundred snaps this year, something like that. And if he goes to a place that's more loaded to defensive back, my guess is on a decent team, he gets maybe two or three hundred. And yeah, I mean, it's just, it's wild to see that happen. Maybe that's not how it plays out. I'm just guessing. But it, that's the first thing that struck me last night, and yes, it was a it was a tampering issue. I'll just leave it at that. Um, well, let, let me yeah, and and let me just put this in perspective, Chris, and, and leave it at this as far as what Vanderbilt's dealing with. For years, Vanderbilt before opportunity Vanderbilt happened with the supplementing of of aid and whatever what people are screaming about, but because of the differential between Vanderbilt's tuition and uh, state school's tuition, you'd have the Vanderbilt staff in the dens of these parents with the kid and offering a baseball scholarship and maybe offering 40 or 50% aid. Well, 40, 50% of 70,000 is, you know, 35,000. That's still a lot of money. And they, and they, and the staff would tell me that they would get laughed out of living rooms by people looking at them and going, we, we, we have to give 30, we still have to pay 35,000, you know, well, Auburn or Ole Miss is going to offer is offering this. My point is, is I think in the NIL game, Vanderbilt probably with this collective is saying, well, we can give you this deal. We've worked this out. Well, and they're getting laughed out of the room. Yes. Yes. Other schools are doing much, much more and maybe, tying it to other things and well, that's where we have chip chip and, and let me parallel. The, the, the question was about the portal teams don't need the portal they don't use the portal they pre-portal right. if you know what i'm meaning and it's not just football and basketball you're right i mean i don't think it's being and because of the once again of why they're different because of the academic requirements they're not letting guys in I, how do we know? I mean, I, you hear about different guys, you know, guys not being able to get into grad school um, who want to stay and have that extra year. And that's, that's a problem. And that's something they got to work out. So, yeah, I mean, whether they're allowed 
I mean, from what you've been told, are they allowed? Is Clark Lee allowed five guys a year? Is that? Is it, you think he's given a cap? I, on I don't know. I don't. I don't think. Again, I've said this as long as I've done the site. I don't have a huge issue with their admission standards for undergraduate students. Now, I do think that grad schools is a harder play. And look, I respect the fact that it that they're hard. This is going to sound worse than I mean it. That they're they are an academic institution. They are there for the purpose of that, right? But here's the thing: when you have got so many built-in disadvantages, right? You cannot leave any stone unturned. They were they were way behind on NIL, and once you make the decision that your strategy is going to be retention, you darn well better make sure that that's an airtight strategy. Uh, in in seeking funding, in in not roping stuff off unnecessarily, in, in making sure coaches get what they want, and they are they are far away from that. Agreed. Yeah, uh, I think there's you know to their credit, the University of Tennessee was the first one of the top teams in the country that were notoriety wise that jumped in and the NIL and with two feet. And uh, they were ahead of the game, more so maybe than anybody in the conference. I think everybody had to play catch-up. UT was ready on day one. And yeah, they, they, Vanderbilt, is, Vanderbilt is never the first mover in grabbing a competitive advantage in anything related to sports. I mean, and, and, you're, and, you're, mm-hmm. lucky if, and you're lucky if they've caught up to everybody else you know, within a decade of where they were in year one on something. Well, I'll, I'll, I will say, and <clears throat> as I bring this to your attention, you'll probably go, well, yeah, Chip, yeah. the opportunity Vanderbilt thing in baseball. Well, there is that. It has yeah. been. Yeah, so, I mean, that, but, that but that been. But that just closed the gap. I don't think that closed gave him a right. competitive advantage. That just got them to where um, you, you, maybe it's harder to get laughed out of a living room based on what you can offer kids. I, I don't think yeah. – I maybe I'm wrong. I don't perceive they have this huge competitive advantage – because of opportunity Vanderbilt, because again, everybody looks at this backwards. When you go to buy a car, nobody says, well, we're going to give you $30,000 off on this car. Well, I'm sorry if the car's costing 90, that's not going to help me a bit. (laughs) Um, I I think that everybody looks at it from the wrong standpoint. It's kind of like, I'll give you an example, just to, it's like fielding percentage. Like if, instead of looking at it, like, this team fields 985, and this team fields 960. If you looked at it like this team has a 1.5% error rate and the other team has a 4% error rate, it looks a lot different, right? Um, I, I'd think, I don't think opportunity Vanderbilt, my perception, gives them some huge advantage. It just makes it to where it's not an incredible disadvantage. But that's, the fact that that's the closest we can get – Right. On this is is really telling. That's correct. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it it, it really, I mean, football, basketball, they're full scholarships anyway. So that really doesn't, we're really just talking baseball and perhaps some of the minor sports that have to split up their scholarships, soccer, women's soccer, lacrosse, those things that have, don't have, that are not fully funded. Um, Yeah. I think golf might be fully funded. I'm not sure. But yeah, that does. But you're right. I mean, there has to be a way that you're not playing you're on offense with your strategy and not just playing continual defense or seeing what everybody else is doing and then you're reacting 
I think in this world today where for years and years, it was the degree, the city, whatever, whatever the Vanderbilt's catchphrase was in athletics selling to student athletes. And uh, the way our world is today, Chris, right now, I don't know if the degree matters as much to these kids. I really don't. Since you've opened up the pocketbook and you've started paying them for their services, essentially that whole deal. uh, Whereas you look up the U S news and world report or whatever, and Vanderbilt's 13th now in the country. I think that's about what they've been. That's important to a lot of people over Kirkland, but more and more in today's kid, today's 18 year old kid, in 2023, I'm not sure that that's a selling point as much as it used to be. And you see stories and stories. What is a degree worth anymore? You know, in today's world, you know, um, it's not as worth as much as it used to be. Uh, Some people want that, you know, Tyron Lawrence has a family. Money's important to Tyron Lawrence. Okay. It's because of his life situation. And that's been brought up. He's got a child and so, you know, today and what we've been going through the last couple of years, excuse me, is, is I think the world's changed quite a bit um, as far as the importance of that and how they strike a balance as far as continuing that degree being important in the city and the people you meet and your classmates. You know, that's that's something they're going to have to try to figure out and cultivating that and making it still important because it's tough right now. Yeah, it feels like they're trying to to hold up an umbrella to stop a hurricane when what they need is a bunker. Yeah, um, it's it's glad I'm not the one making that decision because it's, it's yeah. far implicating um, the the tentacles around that as far as what it affects based on Vanderbilt and the way they are. It's 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 a tough tough road to go. go All right, I think that the mailback question. From oh yeah, it's just. A, Makes makes a pleasant week even more pleasant. Um, all right, Doors alum, you've seen a bout of indignation in these parts about the portal. I think this is directed at me. You likely have a better pulse on other schools by virtue of your work for Southeastern 14 and other connections. Is that same indignation apparent with other fan bases? Is it high enough there will be pressure to fix the system? Um, I'll let you, you give an answer, your take to that, and then I'll give you mine. But you go first. You go first, because I've, I've, I've well, got to my thoughts here. Here's, here's the thing that I kind of find universal, and, and this is complete opinion, and it may be nonsense. I feel like the fans in the media that follow probably the worst offenders don't blink at it. Just look at it. It's the way the world is. I feel like most of the reasonable people in the middle see the absurdity of of this. And and the the, the ones on the fringes of, of the other way are, you know, it's, well, everybody else is doing this. Well, that, that might be true, that might not. But that's sort of the... the, the baseline stance... Chip, this I just don't think this is sustainable. I've looked at it like market crashes. No. You know, you had the stock market no. crash, you had the housing crash. It's kind of like stuff needed to happen. There, there were things that needed to be corrected, and I have been for. And, and here's the thing: I said long ago, I said nil should be a thing. 
that if Vanderbilt is truly run a clean program and re- truly wants to win, it probably should help Vanderbilt as much as anybody because you've got people out there with money. If your stance has been, well, we don't want to play pay recruits out of high school because it's against the rules, well, fine. I respect that. I, I respect running a clean program, but other schools didn't. And, and by the way, I'm not saying that was true for Vanderbilt or not. I'm saying that's always been everybody's perception. I don't think anybody's completely clean all the time. Uh, now, you may have some programs, but who knows? That's that's a take for another day, and I, I'm not I'm not sitting on information there. I'm just – I know human nature and also cover James Franklin. Um, <laughs> if they had their stuff together – from the beginning, this should have been a moment where they said, hey, we can sort of level the playing field by virtue of the stuff we didn't want to do now being something that's not prohibited, but they clearly missed the boat on that. Now, again, they, they have they have seized it in certain circles. They they kept you know a, a couple of very high-profile players that I know had – had had some interference, outside interference going on, um, whether those kid, kids, kids hit the portal or not, which in these cases they did not. That's about as specific as I'm going to be. So, so it's not like it's been a total loss, but just look around you at this week. Yeah, it it, it um, and I don't understand all the rules, and they, I think they've gotten so out of I don't either. whack. Yeah. You know, the QMB gets to go to Penn State, and he's been to – this will be his third school if he signs with Penn State. But then, you know, Ezra Mignon can't transfer because – I mean, you, you just can't. And in football, you've got guys who played at four different schools in four years. Why is it different? Like, why should it be – there needs to be some uniformity in the rules um, – you know, what happens if Jerry Stackhouse leaves and take this is let's say Jerry Stackhouse takes a job in the NBA. I'm just supposed that would happen, okay? Golf courses in the area will suffer. That's what'll happen. <laughs> so if that were to happen <laughs> and seven people have already pl- have, have transferred, don't you think a couple and there, there could be the LSU situation on this yeah. on this uh, basketball team where last year where what they lost eleven of the twelve scholarship players and they had to um bring in an entirely new team some would argue well they came to Van- some some of those recruits to say well i came to vanderbilt because of jerry stackhouse he sold me and he's the one who i came there because you know i've watched him and he was a pro player and i respect him and he could develop me and all that so there is that argument some people will say well you know if a coach can leave why can't the player okay i'll I'll meet you halfway there but it cannot be a continual there has to be some governor place on the number of times, I don't think anything's going to happen unless you put the stop of annual transfers and and maybe a one-time deal, whatever. But this whole thing that's going on now where there's no consistency and there's different rules, and of course, even though COVID changed all that, the COVID exceptions, yeah. and it got to where these programs have got 23 and 24-year-olds in them. And the, some people say it'll flush itself out when those players leave eventually. But goodness, I mean, there's got to be some consistency to where the wipeout of these whole programs has to stop. And um, therein lies the issue. If they don't control it, it's going to continue to get worse. And, um, you know, I, I don't think that um, 
and the rich are going to get richer and those who are quote different like the Vanderbilt for the world even though Stanford and Notre Dame I mean they're kind of the same the Northwestern I think those teams are going to be the ones where it's academically challenging some of these kids maybe the degree is not going to be as important to them or the prestige of graduating and they're going to continue to get wiped out and I think it's going to ha- it, it's not going to get any better until some legislation happens and uh, right, right now, I don't know how powerful the NCAA is right now. We'll see what happens with the UTC case with Pruitt and what happened there. But I'm I'm waiting to see what happens in there. Just how big a gavel they have on some legislation and throwing the hammer down on, on, on somebody. So a lot yeah. going on. Um, it's just crazy. Yeah, I, I, I think Pruitt got caught dead to rights. And I don't think there's yeah. a lot of um, – a lot of nuance in that. What, what's going to happen? I don't know. Uh, based on recent conversations, I, I'm not certain anything's going to happen. Um, but it's the NCA. You don't know for sure. Um, which which could tie into another thing or two there too. But that's sure. That's another day. Um, the, the reason I said I think it'll work itself out. People that say this is going to end college football or whatever. No, it's not. And it's not going to end college basketball because there's too much money. And when there's this much money at stake, people aren't going to be willing to let billions go to zero, right? There's going to be something. You know, the game might get more ruined for another couple of years before that happens. But A, you've got the money on one end, and B, you've got the the threat of bad publicity on another. I'll just go ahead and, and, and share this because I don't think he'd mind. I was having a conversation with Luke Wyatt last night. And Luke usually has a pretty good read on common sense and where things go next. And he said something I'd not really thought of. And this is exactly the way the NCA works. I, the NCA does not, I don't think... When, when the NCAA starts caring is when it starts getting a black eye. Um, in, in other words, if, if the NCAA were the, the security hired to, to guard the banks, I, I don't think the NCAA would care if 100 banks got robbed until the publicity got so bad that it made them look bad. I see that. And, Luke said to me, he said, what it's going to take is some 30 for 30 type things where a kid says, hey, I jumped in the portal and I was promised this and I had that and this happened instead and, and my life got ruined. I think he's right. I think between that and the fact that you will have some people that will lose interest, you will have coaches that leave. I think Jay Wright left basketball. I'm not reporting, but just listening to the way people talked about it, just the nonsense surrounding all this and how it works and just the complete lack of, of ethics and looking out for people. It, it does kind of turn your stomach. Some people might say, well, it's the, it's the way the world works and everything. And I get that, but it just feels dirty and slimy to me. And I'm not the only one. Look, you, you have a, the way pro sports runs, look at the NBA and the NFL, and, and whether you like them or not, they have a very structured competitive process set up. 
you have salary caps that work a certain way. You have drafts that work certain ways. You have windows of this. You have windows of that. And when somebody on those rare occasions where somebody tampers or walks outside the line, justice is usually pretty quick and pretty severe. The NCAA is going to have to go something like that, where you have a limit on how many transfers or whatever you can can bring in. Are you... Um, How do you, you know, every school's got $5 million for football or whatever, if you play in the SEC or whatever. There, there will be no tampering. Um, you know, if, if you want to get kind of an outside opinion, like you would for a draft, right? Like if a kid's committed to a school and he can't have an agent, but he wants to know what could, what could I get in the draft? Maybe there's some sort of process for something like that. Because I'm not anti-kids getting paid and, and getting the best for them. And I shouldn't use kids. They're, they're players. They're young adults at that point. It's not like they're 10. Although some of them may have the maturity level of that at times uh, <laughs> and the guidance of that. But anyway, point being, there's, there's too much money at stake. I think there's too many good people that see the chaos for what it is. And I think there's too many structures in pro sports for there not to be an answer in this somewhere. I, I don't think... I don't know what it's going to look like, but I don't think five years from now we're still going to have the complete chaos that we have today. Well, Chris, I think that looking back on it, though, for a school, and let's just take football, where Barton Simmons and Clark Lee and those guys and their recruiting folks are out there combing the country looking for players that fit their system and let's just say they're they're they get a three-star that they really feel they can develop to a four-star one day with their instruction and their working ethic and and getting these guys a jordan matthews for example okay that's what they're looking for and if if this becomes a training ground does jordan matthews does does jay cutler in today's if those guys were around do they finish their careers at Vanderbilt? I don't no, it, so. it is a it is a complete disincentive in so many ways for the schools like that. And, and I, I heard someone talking about this on another podcast. What the I think what like some of the Sun Belt level schools are doing now they they're just looking in the portal for for castoffs and kids they can develop up. Right. And you're seeing kids oh, yeah. that used to get recruited that aren't getting an opportunity for a college scholarship because if if you don't play in the chaos, then you're, you're losing out. And if you are a Vanderbilt or a Marshall or somebody and you sign a kid and you have a development plan, uh, that, that can be out the window in one year. And what happens too, Chris, is you have these, when they start getting paid or you have a Jordan Matthews, for example, who's a three-star came in as a two, three-star and was could have played probably anywhere in the conference by his junior senior year, and then you get paid. <laughs> yeah, you know Vanderbilt's hard enough. Vanderbilt's hard enough academically for a lot of these kids coming from backgrounds that they come from nothing. Where let's just face it on on there there's in and culturally where some of these kids who come to school from from all these areas don't have a lot in common with their fellow students and, and the backgrounds are different and their socioeconomic backgrounds. That's why I keep harping on the degree becomes less important. 
and you get paid. So all of a sudden, you, if I'm going to get paid, why do I got to work? Why do I want to work right in the classroom? Why do I want to have to get a tutor all the time? Why do I want to have to study for all these exams and these classes that quote unquote matter? And um, you start getting paid on top of the fact that, hey, I'm a, I was a three star. Now Alabama wants me. Now Auburn wants me. And so it makes it just, it's an easy out. And uh, that's the brick wall that I think those guys is, if you can get all the three stars you want that fit your system and you're going to bring them to where they're tough, competitive, that eventually can play with anybody in the league and they just get picked. And that's what just would drive me nuts. The, the NCAA, and, and a lot of this can probably said a Major League Baseball too at, at times. It's like that that organization is incapable of finding a a reasonable middle ground. And, and I'm going to go on a tangent here with, with this too. And I'll give you an example. Th- this has been a long time. I won't give the the coach's name. I won't give the player's name. But it was a football player that Vanderbilt had just brought in. He'd finished his freshman year. He'd played some. He goes back home. His mom is a drug addict. And I think I've shared this story before or shared parts of it, but I think it's worth the retail. And he goes home for Christmas break. He comes back. He's 30 pounds lighter. The reason for that is his mom was a drug addict. They had one can of beans in the house, and that was it. Mm-hmm. Now, common sense would tell you in that situation, hopefully there would be some sort of remedy to, to help a kid through starvation. But at that point in time, it's against the NCAA rules. Um, and and I'm, I'm more fine with breaking some rules along the lines of common sense than I am with that. And that's where the NCAA lived for decades. And it would plant its flag there, and it would, you know, stubbornly insist this is the way of doing things, which everybody now sees as ridiculous. Now you have this on the other hand, where you've got any if you've got any ethics and any respect for what other people are doing, you're going to get run over like a truck in some cases. Um, I, I didn't phrase that well probably because we've gone on a while now. But here's my point. You had a way before where good people couldn't help kids with stuff that they really needed and find some sort of common sense middle ground. Now, part of that was because the bad people would take that and take it to an extreme, which is what you're seeing now. And now that it's gone the other way, I am concerned that the good people, and I've covered – Coaches at Vanderbilt that I would sign my kids up to play for them, whether assistants or head coaches any day. I've covered coaches at Vanderbilt. What I would rather my kid go anywhere but Vanderbilt, uh, given some of those mm-hmm. situations. And it's like it, there's there's but there's no meeting in the middle. It's either all one way or the other way. And what gets left out is the people in the middle that try to do the right thing. And what gets left out is any semblance of competitive balance, because either way, uh, the, the people that are looking out for their best interests and maybe not necessarily the kids 
um, are, are getting squeezed out. And I think also, as you said, there there is no incentive to give a staff a path to develop a kid over a longer term. And some of the, the some of the coaches that do the best job of that are, are some of the ones that you do want your kids playing for. And it's just a mess right. when you put all that in one bowl and mix it together. Absolutely correct. It's tough out there. And um yeah. it's um I don't know what the solution is, but there seems like there's gotta be a common ground there. But right now, uh, the the wave is out there on the horizon and it's and it's growing and, and until somebody steps in, sometimes you just wonder if the power of the majority of the folks are going to win out the, the, to the riches go the spoils as the saying so, so it goes. So we'll see. Is this, if we, we've maybe made done two shows. <laughs> Have we done two shows? We've done a baseball podcast. I think, I think we did. I mean, here's, but here's the thing I would find out like it, you hear about this occasionally in the NBA and NFL, when you hear of suspicions of tampering, there is a quick and swift investigation, and the penalty is usually pretty harsh. NCA needs to figure out how the pros do it and do that. Because I think, to me, you set up a new set of rules, you remove all the objections, you let the, the players get paid, you let all these things go on that make it more like pro sports, but the minute somebody colors outside the lines, I'd have no problem with bringing back the death penalty or something close to that. Well, you know how that works. It's just like the coaches, how the coaches sure. communicate. Uh, they're, they're but, the guy but here's the point. The, the NBA and the NFL has, have figured something out. I, yeah. I think contracts are probably part of it. You, you sign a four-year deal with Vanderbilt, and you know the, you, don't, you don't get out of it in the pros. You, 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 you're drafted by the Titans. You sign a deal, right. and you don't get out unless the team releases you. You don't just say, hey, I'm going to go play for the Jets. I mean, I guess you can, you can throw a fit and act out and – you know, you occasionally you will see players that, that play it out in, in the public eye and, and try to get cut or whatever, but that usually doesn't end well for that player. Yeah. I mean you and you and you know what's happening to this. You got a player, player X is plays for Vanderbilt and and um somebody from the athletic department at school Z contacts his seven on seven coach or his high school coach and they work the back channels that way and and all of a sudden they are entering the portal because they understand that there's a deal out there for them that's sitting on the table waiting on them. I mean, it's, it's, and it's hard to prove probably that's the the problem um, with, with handlers and high school coaches and passing league coaches and in football at least um, that happens quite frequently, you would think. So it's a mess. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, it, you can you can do all that you want, but if I'm under contract with Vanderbilt or, or Tennessee or whoever, and you're some other school and you want me to come play and you're offering me a billion dollars in NIL money, I'm under contract I can't get out of, and it doesn't yeah, really I see, matter. I see what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. If that, if that were, yeah. And, and at first, I mean, I, I was a guy that said, "Hey, I'm I'm all for letting these guys get paid." And I still believe that, and, and part of me thought, well. Once you sort of legalize it and you make it to where everybody can do it, it, it'll sort of even it out because now that it's not illegal, it won't be just the the people that have no shame that do it. Everybody can do it. But the problem was you coupled it with the portal. 
And and those two things together yep. have made it a disaster. Absolutely. The combination has made it almost just completely unsustainable that, that those two have mixed because it really doesn't. Um, I mean, if there's a, if there's a, if there were a situation where Jerry Stackhouse went to an NBA, like I said, there's a chance that Vanderbilt doesn't have any scholarship players left next year. Imagine that. Yeah. Imagine that for a second, a school like Vanderbilt where it's tougher to get people in school and you're in May and you're looking for 10 new players. Yeah. And then, and then the thing is, what if the new coach wants to bring in people and this staff has already brought in one or two players from the portal? What if those, what if those, what if the new coach doesn't want any of those players? What if those players don't want to play for the new coach? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to say something here and I'm going to do something. I'm going to, I'm going to give everybody a countdown. And if, if you don't want to hear something, you have the, the choice to, to not listen, but five, four, three, two, one. Okay. If you're still listening, don't get mad at me. It's your fault. I, I do not see this ending in anything other than disaster because I think this job has been a placeholder from day one and it's just a matter of time. Well, we shall see that it depends on what, you know, whether that be sooner rather than later or, or, uh, yeah, but it's it's um it's just something that you continually refreshing if you're sitting there at Kroger and you're in the line waiting and you're refreshing your Twitter line because you're waiting on seeing some story break of of something happening. So um, nothing would surprise me at this point. I'll just put it that way. Well, you you've got front row seats. You commented me many <laughs> times on how much fun it looked like everyone was having last year. Well, sort of. Sort of have something, something have, like fun. No, so we used to have front row shit. Well, that's oh, you know, a couple of them got that's, yanked out. That's but. right. We could do a podcast <laughs> about that alone, and that would that would be funny. You might not find it funny, but I would. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Well, this has been fun. Um, yes, <laughs> I'm not sure how how uh, have, have you reached your limit of fun? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I don't know how if we I'm, if I'm we picking um, up what you're dropping. <laughs> No, no, no. I'm just saying. I, I say it's been fun talking about it, but it's it's in a way it's depressing. To be honest, I mean, it's, well, it's, it, of course, of course, it's depressing. And I, I, I look, I, my my night is not ruined when a kid. I, I'm just doing this. It's a it's a job. It's my job to comment. Um, I don't, you know, whatever happens with them, I don't, I don't wear it on my sleeve that night or that weekend. It's it's just my job to sit and comment on it, but. Well, look, when, when the Richard when the Richard thing blew up last night, I just got to thinking. There, there's just, and, and I know those guys. I know how hard they work. I like them, and, and I feel for them because it's already a tough job, and it just seems like it is getting tougher every day. And, and I will end it with this: You're, this is a kid. This is a guy talking to you right now, whose father played in the first basketball game in that gym in 1951 against Virginia. My mother went there. My parents met. If it wasn't for Vanderbilt University, I wouldn't be here. They brought my parents together, okay? I used to wipe the sweat off the floor. I sat under the basketball goal when I was 9, 10 years old. I wore a little warm-up suit, and I sat on a stool under the Richard Schmidt days and wiped up the sweat. I was a ball boy. 
I ended up playing baseball there. My brother went there. I played baseball there for four years, earned a scholarship. You get where I'm going. You know where my heart is. I mean, I got my diploma on the wall. I am nothing but good things as far as my history with Vanderbilt and my care for the university. Probably I care too much. Having said that, I'm worried about where they, I'm worried about the athletic department, um, what they have to tackle. Some of it is self-inflicted, yes, but, and, 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 but I just, I think there's, there's a, there's a developing moment coming that if they, if, uh, if the cards aren't played right, it could be um, something very, very different than what I grew up following and sitting by the radio and keeping scorebook when they were playing on the road, when you listen to games on the radio, when they weren't all on television, I was that kid. I mean, this, this is, I had a chance to go to Ole Miss, thought about going to North Carolina, but Vanderbilt was kind of always in my heart. So that's where my heart is going. But looking at it from a view way up top, it's, it's, it's going to be an uphill climb. They've got to find some, and it might be, the, the wave might be too far down, uh, growing too fast. Is that that's my worry? You see my point? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, It could be that it it could be uh, way beyond recovery right now. Until and 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 that would be a sad state. But you know, things change in the world. I mean, this is a different world, and and uh, and and uh, it's it's troubling to see that it could be unrecoverable. I'm not trying to be gloom and doom and you and I talking and, and all this and, but it's reality. I, I wouldn't be saying if it was just supposed, and, you know, and, and things of, well, this might happen. I mean, this is truly happening in front of us and, and trying to find a way to battle out of it and, and survive on the other side. That's what they got to do. Well, look, it's it, to, to literally anybody listening to this podcast, as long as you've been old enough to follow Vanderbilt sports, it has been a catch-up culture with athletics and has never been a get-ahead culture. And here again, they find themselves <laughs> squarely in the middle of that. Yeah, absolutely. All I want to know now is uh, you mentioned you sat on a, a stool when you were a kid. Is that still the, Was that still the case this year, or did you end up with the seat somewhere? <laughs> The lady in front of me had to sit in a folding chair, but that's another that's a whole other thing. Now, the oh, stool I actually, wish people uh, could have, I wish people could have seen our text messages over the last year. It was a lot funnier <laughs> to me than it was to you. But every time uh, I looked up my phone, and especially it was if it was during a game and it said Chip Frederick, I'm like, I, I don't know what this says, but I can't wait to read it. That's right. We had some we had some fun over those. Uh, yeah, but those we stools did. were underneath those goals with the old partitions, you know. Uh, that uh, the when the you remember the backboards were just kind of suspended in midair and they had yeah the, the, yeah uh, but uh, yeah that was uh, some fun times used to play basketball at halftime that with the ball boys that all get to play like three on three and the crowd would cheer and we had this heinous yellow and black warm up tops that we'd wear and Richard Schmidt's son I don't think he was around when Richard Richard Schmidt was his son was one of the ball boys I'm not sure what he's doing now but uh, those were. Uh, those were good times a long time ago. All right. I think this is the longest one we've ever done, you and I. I think if somebody you – know, I laughed if somebody drove from here to Memphis last weekend. They would listen to it. This might be from here to Atlanta. The, the, the whole podcast. This one might have a little more staying power, too. That's right. 
That's right. Last week's kind of got upended after a few days. But anyway, hey, Chip, thanks for joining us. Tell people if they got real estate needs where they can be helped. Sure. Frederick and Clark Realty is that company that uh, was formed out of uh, back in 1957. Uh, my father graduated from Vanderbilt in the 50s. And so we've been around since that time serving real estate needs of Nashvilleians and people around Middle Tennessee, Vanderbilt fans and and people that they met and grew and grew. And now we have 180 agents in two offices, Brentwood and Nash and Green Hills. 615-327-4800 is our number. We've helped out some listeners on this podcast, Vanderbilt fans, non-Vanderbilt fans, SEC fans, however you want to call it. We've uh, got some really talented agents to navigate these waters of the tough market, kind of crazy market that still exists in real estate. So if you are in the market to buy or sell your house, give me a call. I'd love to talk to you, hook you up with one of our agents and, and uh, talk about your specifics because you need an advocate on your side. So check out our website at frederickandclark.com. You can call me personally again at 615-327-4800. Chip, appreciate you joining us today. Next time we talk, Vanderbilt will have played Kentucky, and I think next week's midweek game is looks like it's Georgia State, again, which this, this is the team that just beat Georgia. So we'll probably talk again next Wednesday after that one, and I look forward to that. All right, Chris. I enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, vandysports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at vandysports.com. Follow me at chrislee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.